This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Good afternoon, Steelers Nation inside the electric factory at Steelers Blitz on SNR. Our good buddy, Chris Carter, in today for Arthur Motes. What's up, Chris? What's up, Wes? How you doing on this fine Tuesday? You know, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm glad, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you asked, man. <laughs> I, I'm doing well, but I'd be much better if we could just be, you know, rays of positivity and sunshine today and, and finally feeling good about ourselves like we were for the most part like, oh, yesterday. You, oh, you guys thought you could be happy? No. Not 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 in, not in Steeler Nation in 2019. It, it does really seem like it's becoming an unfortunate theme of 2019, if you will. And the fact that it seems like every time the Steelers take a step forward, every time they climb the stairs a few yep. steps, yep. as something happens just out of the control of a normal X's and O's football game setting that just kind of knocks them back a peg. Uh, obviously, the injuries to Ben Roethlisberger yep. and Jalen Samuels mm-hmm. and James Washington and mm-hmm. Dante Moncrief and Vance McDonald. Keep and, it going. Did I forget anybody <laughs> on the offensive I mean, I mean, side I mean, of the phone? I mean, Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph getting knocked out in the middle of a game where he was starting to come around and finally – Look, look like the guy that they drafted him to be, you know. And, and you, you get Devin Bush gets hurt in, in in the you know against against the uh, the Chargers. You had you saw T.J. Watt dealing with injuries. You saw Hayden couldn't finish a game. Stephen Nelson couldn't couldn't even travel to the game. What Vince wh- Williams missed a bunch of games earlier in the year, yeah. particularly those ones against the Niners and the Seahawks, which he, which he could have been a huge how impact. Big he would have been. Yeah, I think you saw that in the Ravens game. How mm-hmm. important he is mm-hmm. to those run heavy type offensive schemes against those type of teams. And with all that, and with all that, yeah, we were still feeling pretty good on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Okay, two and four. We know what the division is this year. Man, yep. the defense is looking great, and such a big part. Of that defensive success this year has been Stefan Tuitt. He left the game in the first half out in Los Angeles. You heard what Cam Hayward said after the game. It didn't necessarily sound encouraging. And so it was almost, it was eerily similar, of honestly, to me, Chris, and I don't know how you feel about this, when we were kind of waiting around for the Ben Roethlisberger news. It was like everybody was kind of hoping for the best. Yep. And you don't ever want to, like, you know, completely panic but some of the comments and some of the you know thoughts around the situation were, oh, man, this might not be good. Yep. And the news none of us wanted to hear yesterday, Stephon Tuitt done for the rest of the season. He has been put on injured reserve list after suffering a pectoral injury in the first half against the Chargers. Yeah, that's a, that's a true nightmare. He had three and a half sacks. He was creating pressure. Even when he wasn't getting the sacks, was he was, oh. he was attracting double teams. He was pushing people into the backfield. And that opened up more opportunities for Cam Hayward, more opportunities for T.J. Watt, more opportunities for Javon Hargrave, more opportunities for Bud Dupree. Uh, across the board, when you're taking on double teams and they're not controlling you, you are you are doing your job, even if you're not getting the the numbers, which is really what Stephon Tuitt was doing so well. It is just extremely frustrating to the Steelers to see. And and Stephon Tuitt, he was on pace to have his best year no of doubt. his career. No the, doubt, the way the way he was playing, he's had spurts, but his whole season was a spurt so far. You know, he was just he was just making plays, making plays, making plays, and then teams were recognizing what he could do, and that opened up Cam Hayward. Uh, you know, with, uh, you know, against the against the Bengals, um, and, and you saw him start to come alive. He's been playing better. 
with a defense that seems to be turning the corner. They have, the, they have the second most forced turnovers in in the NFL with 15 only behind the New England Patriots. As many through six games as they had all of last season. Exactly. And they're they're playing at an insanely high level. And arguably, you could say T.J. Watt's been their best player. You could say Steven Nelson's maybe been their best player. But Stephon Tua has been right in that conversation for no how doubt. he's dominated the line of scrimmage and opened up opportunities for everyone else. Losing him is losing a huge piece moving forward, especially when you're 2-4 and four and you're looking to climb back out of the hole you're in now. That's not to say that they can't do that because the Steelers have done that in the past. Arthur Motes will tell you that. He's been part of some of those pushback, yep, yep. pushback seasons. Um, and that th- those been seasons where they've lost like a Le'Veon Bell type of player when they've when they've lost Bud Dupree in the middle of a season. And not that Bud is, was playing at the two-it level, but guys that you're like, oh, man, like, you know, just when we're starting to figure out chemistry with people, this happens. They, 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 they could still come together, but it's such a huge punch in the mouth. It really is. I, I like what you said there about how, man, we've spent, and, and rightfully so, we spent a lot of time this season talking about T.J. Watt. He's been phenomenal. Did you see the tweet from J.J. Watt yesterday, the Spider-Man tweet? Oh, yeah, that was pretty funny. So T.J. Watt and J.J. Watt both lead are tied for the lead in, uh, is it quarterback um, hits? Quarterback hits, yeah. yes. So with, I think, 14 on the season, <laughs> J.J. Watt, you know, shared that tweet with a gif of two Spider-Mans pointing that at each other funny. for the Watt brothers. But T.J. Watt has has certainly been outstanding this season and deservedly so has gotten a lot of talk. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick has been in that conversation ever since he came to Pittsburgh. You're right. Steven Nelson was a guy, deservedly so, that we spent a lot of time discussing. Uh, Devin Bush, even after the past two weeks, has has gotten a, a lot of love, a lot of, you know, a lot of talk. But, man, Stephon Tuitt, quietly but also disruptively at the same time, right, in the sense that you're so used to Cam Hayward kind of being the guy who leads the way for that defensive line. But we were having a conversation last week with Bob Labriola of Steelers.com, and he said, guys, I I don't know how many Steelers fans are willing to admit this or have kind of accepted this fact, but Stephon Tuitt's the best defensive lineman on this team right now. And he said, I don't mean that as a disrespect to Cam Hayward. I mean that as a compliment to how much he's elevated this his game this season, you know, entering his still prime years in his 20s, but has now had some seasoning during his time in the National Football League. And you hit the nail on the head, too. Yeah, three and a half sacks and six tackles for a loss. Those are great numbers-wise. But even beyond the numbers, you could just see almost kind of like Bud Dupree, right? Yeah. Even where a lot of times he wasn't doing something that shows up on the stat sheet, it's like he was having an impact. He was being disruptive almost every single play in the in the run game and obviously getting after the quarterback. And, and again, when you're in the defensive line business, you don't always have to be the person that makes the play. You could just be the person that attracts the double that team. blows up the play. That blows up, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and attracts the, the double team, yeah. And, and, and gets the opportunity for someone else. That's something that Aaron Donald does yes. extremely well for the Rams. Uh, on that Thursday night football game when they played the Seahawks, there was one play where you literally had three guys on Aaron Donald. And it's like, and it's like I, I looked at that next circle, and everyone was circling that. And like, that's what you call being the best defender in the NFL when three guys have to block you. Casey Hampton got that kind of treatment. Oh, absolutely. You see every, occasionally when he's really going, Fletcher Cox gets that kind of treatment mm-hmm. from time to time. You're right. I mean, those things are just as important that don't show up on the stat sheet, the things that, you know, again, that you got you to gotta circle on the film and make sure you point out it. And, man, like you said, you've, we've seen Tuit do it and stretch. Tuit do it. We've seen Tuit do it 
in stretches throughout his career, but man, it, it was really like he had found that consistency this year. Yeah, and that, that's that's what's so, and, and not just his consistency, but then the defense, you know, banking on it, and that's something I think that would have changed the game in those when when Philip Rivers started to figure things out and he was starting to you know move the ball a little bit more. Right. Granted, Joe Hayden was also out, so that was that was a, that was a factor as well, um, but. You know, you you, you saw he, they weren't getting as much pressure up the middle anymore. And this is a game where Mike Pouncey, Chargers center, Marquise Pouncey's twin, was was out. He, you know, he's 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 he got he got hurt before the, going into this week. So that was a place where the Steelers thought they were going to dominate. And Tyson Alulu filled in well. He did, but he didn't dominate the way that Stephon Tuitt seems to always do this season. And that's where people are you know should should be worried because if Stephon Tuitt's in that game, and you know, and and, and then the defense is pinning their ears back, and Philip Rivers is. I'm not sure he gets a, a, as many pockets to throw the football in, and that's gonna and and not just because Tuitt's gonna crash it, but because you now the offensive line's like, okay, we gotta stop him, and and we gotta stop Cam, and we gotta stop Hargrave, and they're gonna T.J. West coming, and Vince Williams occasionally blitzes too. It's just that that's the level that, that he could have changed that game, and you have to wonder how is that gonna factor into the rest of the season. I. Yeah, I wonder what that defensive line and what the snap count looks like going forward, right? Uh, you mentioned it, Alu-Alu thrust into the spotlight there a little bit. He did well, uh, had the had the pass break up at the line of scrimmage that led to Devin Bush's interception. Yep. Uh, we all know the pedigree he has as a former first-round guy. Uh, Javon Hargrave as well, too. We know what he's capable of. I think we all agree he could start for a lot of teams, get, yeah. m- get more snaps, get more spin for a lot of teams yep. than he would if, if, you know, if he didn't have Stephon Tewitt and Cam Hayward and guys like that in front of him. So how do you go about this then in the, the keen mind of Chris Carter? Is it Alulu who gets the lion's share of the, those available snaps now? Is it Hargrave? Is it a combination of both? Could we see Isaiah Bugs play into this? How do you think they go about um, filling – you know, the gap that Tua has left going forward. Well, I think it's going to be a mix of Alulu and Hargrave. Uh, the thing with Hargrave, and as much as you love the guy, he is undersized. And that's where he can beat guys one-on-one. Like, he's the guy you want Tua to set up. Because, but when you double-team him, because of his lack of size, he can get more. He can get leverage on those guys, but he's not going to drive those two guys back. He's just He doesn't have that natural, raw strength that Stephon Tuitt is. Now, what I love about Javon Hargrave is he's a technician. He'll get under you. He'll swim under you. He'll, be, he'll, 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 he'll win that center of gravity battle, mm-hmm. be, have better leverage, and get past you. That's why he's been such a problem for Tom Brady in the past. I think he's sacked Tom Brady at least three times in his career because he'll get up inside and win those one-on-one battles when everyone's focusing on t- Tuitt and Hayward. But when you're asking him to do what Stephon Tuitt was doing, that's where it starts to get a little bit, a little bit more tough. Now, Tyson Alulu, former top ten pick by the Jaguars many years ago, and you know didn't you know didn't manifest into that kind of a talent, but he's been a decent lineman, which is really all you could ask for him with the way the Steelers signed him. He can fill in and make plays here and there, and he can not be a liability at the position. But the problem is, Wes, is that that wasn't it, it, Stephon Tuitt wasn't just not a liability. He was an elite player yep. this, this season, and. That when when someone like that disappears from your unit, you need someone else to step up, and not necessarily in the same position. But now there's going to be more pressure on Devin Bush, on Vince Williams, on Joe Hayden, on Stephen Nelson, on Terrell Edmonds, on Mika Fitzpatrick, and everywhere else in the field because now there's not going to be as many pockets crumbling, and you're probably also not going to get that same kind of domination at the at the line to stop the run game. You're going to need yep. those linebackers to do a little bit better against blockers because. 
to it was a guy he could take on a guard and a center and hold them right there and allow Vince Williams to sort of look around and say, let me do what I want to do in that five-yard box. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think that the, these guys, they have people to sort of fill in the position. Their, their, their defensive line depth is solid. Bugs will probably, you know, get get in there on the back end the way McCullers has. Okay. Um, because, you know, the thing about that, McCullers has to step up in, in the depth chart. I do think the Steelers said they, they were bringing back LT Walton, uh, on either on the practice squad yes. or – um, yes. But but and so like that's a familiar face. That's a and that's a guy that that they've had some success with in the past. But there's a reason he was a depth guy. And there's a reason why they didn't bring him back. So um, it, they're not going to get the elite production, but they are going to get guys that know the position and aren't going to just be you know all over the place the way that they used to be with their backup defensive tackles and defensive ends. Like when uh, Cam Thomas was in town the first couple of years. Bugs has been one of those guys, a healthy scratch, if yeah. you will, hasn't yeah. gotten a helmet yet. Are you intrigued? He's a guy that I've been intrigued to see play. Uh, he was fun to watch at training camp and in preseason. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with his story, right, he's an Alabama guy, had a lot of success there, obviously, mm-hmm. led that team in sacks yeah. last year, a team that had, uh, what, I think three guys from the defense drafted yes. in the first round. Mm-hmm. He led that team in sacks. Uh, he's familiar with Carl Dunbar, who mm-hmm. coached him during his time at Alabama before he came to the Steelers, the Steelers defensive line coach. Uh, he played a three-four defense throughout his yep. hit throughout his time at Alabama. He's a guy the Steelers are familiar with. He's a guy that has had success at the college level. Yep, and he plays three and five techniques. He can he can and, line up in different spots. That's what that's where he was the kind of threat. And, and now to the, let's let's not sell you guys you know too much. You know, he led he led the he led Alabama in sacks because everybody was looking at oh no there's Quentin Williams oh we got to stop him uh, and that's where Bugs got a lot of his production from but. He showed, hey, when you get those one-on-ones, he could take advantage. And, and that was an SEC football. So right. him being a late-round draft pick, yeah, there's a chance that he could develop and he could be something in the defense and he can be a good rotational guy, you know, in, in the in the coming years. Um, but, you know, but so I think that, yeah, that there's, there's some upside there, Wes. There's a lot of good things that you see about him. And I think the Steelers really like the diversity of where he could line up because that's what they look for. They, yes. they, they, they want to – when you can do multiple jobs, like B.J. Finney, like Matt Filer on the offensive side – you can when you can take away two two depth chart positions, you open up roster spots in other areas they need to address. Like like for example, that's why they have six wide receivers on on the roster right now because they know that often offensive line wise, yeah, BJ Finney. That's why you know Fred Johnson losing that losing him to the Bengals Correct. while he's you know, you know because he got claimed off of waivers. It it stinks for the Steelers, but it also doesn't kill them because. B.J. Finney's their first reserve interior offensive lineman, and then Matt Filer, if 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 all if everything else goes bad, he'll bump in from tackle, and Zach Banner steps up at tackle. So you got you already got two guys that can address your interior offensive line positions for depth, and one of them is a starter at tackle that can be immediately replaced. So um, you know it's that that's that's the value that Bugs can bring on the defensive side is that hey if we need a guy to line up inside on the nickel and we're really hurting and we need just a fresh body you know Bugs can fit that if we needed to jump out on the edge real quick for a, you know a, in a more of a run based defense and a 340 then then we could put him there as well i think that's what they're seeing out of him you know to maybe come in the future 10 games left for this defense now in the regular season sans stefan to it Isaiah Bugs, Javon Hargrave, Tyson Alulu, Big Dan McCullers. Who would you like to see get more snaps? Who do you think deserves 
to fill in that role for Stefan Tuitt, get at us on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at Carter Critiques. We'll continue this discussion when we come back. Um, I want to look uh, on the other side of the trenches as well with Chris. You know Chris has come prepared with all of his information Woo! today. We'll have Carter's classroom at 1 o'clock. We'll get back into uh, some of these, uh, some of the things that we noticed from Sunday night, more reaction to the Steelers-Chargers game, as well as, man, there's a, a firestorm going on uh, along – NFL lines today with some things that happened last night on Monday Night Football. We'll get to that as well. Again, on Twitter, if you want to chime in, at Wesley Euler, at Carter Critiques, you are listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Another week in the books and unfortunately another setback in the injury department for your Pittsburgh Steelers. That is the topic du jour today. Wesley Euler, Chris Carter in for Arthur Motes here inside the Electric Factory. We got some reaction rolling in on Twitter here. The power grids lighten up as they always do so well. (laughs) At Wesley Euler, at Carter Critiques. Before we get to some of this reaction though, I don't know if it's because the sun's shining I don't know if just, you know, I finally got to come in here yesterday and for the first time this year, mind you, do a Victory Monday, right? Because the Steelers' only other win had come on a Monday. Yeah, so it was Victory Tuesday. Right. So at at least, you know, yesterday, good mood, sun is shining. It's been nice weather here in Pittsburgh. Let me knock on some wood. (laughs) It's been nice weather here in Pittsburgh for like two, three weeks now running. I mean, in a good mood here, Chris, okay? Mm -hmm. I got a haircut scheduled for this afternoon, you know? I'm feeling good. If I'm going to continue to try and look at this thing glass half full right which is what I like to do for the most part Mm -hmm. the Steelers have had success through the first six six weeks of the season now in having the next man step up right Uh, you've seen it all over the offense you've seen it all over the defense heck you saw it Sunday night yep Saw Tyson Alulu come into the game and make some plays. Uh, Steven Nelson, who we've talked a ton about, has been so quietly great for the Steelers this season. He's out. Artie Burns steps in and does a good job. Cam Sutton, whatever his role is from week to week, he's figuring out. He's doing a good mm-hmm. job. Cam mm-hmm. Kelly, another guy that I don't think a lot of us had huge expectations for coming into training camp, at least, for a role this season. Right. He continues to make plays and step up when he's called upon. And then the interior linebacking position, too. I don't know if certainly I think if you ask the Steelers training staff, all the the fans and all of us, we wanted to see Devin Bush get a lot of spin. I don't think if you would have asked, you know, Keith Butler and Mike Tomlin and company, Jerry O, all those guys during training camp, if you would have asked them, hey, how much, you know, how many snaps do you think Devin Bush is going to get this season, particularly early? I don't think they would have thought his role would have been this large but so far, so good, Chris. They have continued to force turnovers. They have continued as a defense to keep the offense Absolutely. in games, regardless of the situation. Man, I know to it is as big a loss as you can have on that defense right now, without a doubt. But 
hey, they have so far so good this season when it's come to getting punched in the mouth on the defensive side of the football, particularly when it comes to injuries and availability. And and I'm I'm optimistic. I'll say cautiously optimistic that that can continue. Absolutely. And and again, you had a situation where they were on the road in the West Coast in the Pacific Time Zone where they haven't won since 2015. Mm-hmm. And at one point they were missing both Steven Nelson and Joe Hayden, and they still found a way to win. And in the end, one of those reserve cornerbacks, Cam Sutton, got an interception that closed out the game. That and I'll say this, I, you know, I know Artie Burns got the game ball, and Artie Burns played played well. He played solid. He wasn't great, but he was solid, which is what you need from a backup cornerback in that position. Um, and a, a lot of people gave him a lot of flack for for the game. The one touchdown where Hunter Henry caught over him, that wasn't really on Artie as much. He was playing outside zone. Henry ran ran up the seam to the middle of the field. Burns reacted and he. Gave a good challenge to the ball, but that was him helping because Rivers just found the soft spot in the zone. That's what franchise quarterbacks do to defenses when they're in zone defense sometimes. But um, all in all, I thought Burns played well, but I thought Cam Sutton should have gotten the game ball you know, for the defense because mm-hmm. that guy had the game when the game closing interception. He recovered the onside kick. He had three passes, passes defense, and he was locking down Mike Williams whenever they went to him. Uh, Wes, on the night, I had Cameron Sutton being targeted six times, allowing, only allowing two completions um, for 32 yards. And, uh, along with that, and f- five of those five of those attempts came when he was guarding wide receivers. Uh, and some of those were just he was just the closest cornerback in the area, so you have to attribute that to him. But still, that's insane. They, and, and that means that Philip Rivers made a point to try and pick on Cam Sutton, and it failed. Stepping up like that, that's what you're talking about with the standard is the standard. Ooh, to borrow a Mike Tomlinism there. <laughs> yeah, I just, again, it is discouraging in the sense that, like we mentioned in the first segment, it feels like every time they start to get that train, you know, every time every every time they start to jump on that moving train <laughs> to steal another Tomlinism, um, every time they get some things going in their direction, it feels like they're just hit with another setback, and certainly the loss of Stephon Tuitt is, you know, obviously there there was nobody more valuable to this team's success than Ben Roethlisberger, than the quarterback. That's how 90% of the National Football League rosters are constructed yeah. right now. But if you look at the defensive side of the football, there's, you know, certainly T.J. Watt. Maybe you could, you could argue Devin Bush at this point. You could argue Minka Fitzpatrick, Steven Nelson you mentioned. But, man, Tuitt is, is certainly – right up there, if not the guy in a 1A or 1B that you do not want to see uh, this defense no, have absolutely. to go without. Yeah. And you're going to have to go without him for 10 games here for the la- for the rest of the season. But, again, as we've mentioned, it's it's not all doom and gloom. And and we got some people here on Twitter who are, are feeling the same way as well. Again, if you want to chime in, at Wesley Euler, at Carter Critiques on the Twitter.com. Our guy David says the two news is heartbreaking. Feels like Steeler Nation is getting tested this year, but that show of force in Los Angeles shows we got this team's back. Adversity introduces a man to himself. Yeah, Steelers Nation and that team, everybody on the roster and all the coaches being tested this year without a doubt. Um, But this is something, we had a caller yesterday. Now I'm going to forget his name. Charlie, maybe? Who said... Why can't Steeler Nation bring that same energy that we saw at 
It's not StubHub Center anymore. The, no, it's a uh, Health Dignity yeah, Sports dig, Park. Dig, health read, and Dignity Dignity Health Sports dig, Park. Health yeah, and something Dignity like, Sports Park. Dignity Health Sports Park. I think that's what it is. I was talking about. Did you see the energy in that? Did you see how the team and the defense, particularly early and late in the game, the defense fed off that road mm. crowd? Why can't Steelers fans bring that same emotion to home games? And I think we talked a little bit about how a lot of people who go to the Steelers home games at Heinz Field, it's kind of it's a routine for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say they take it for granted, but uh, maybe but, in a little bit of a way they do. But think about it, Wes. And for all you out there that aren't in, in, in the mecca that is Pittsburgh. <laughs> because but, I, we have, I have to remind myself that here on Steelers Nation Radio, at least 50% of our listenership is from outside of the Pittsburgh, Western Pennsylvania bubble. Right, and, and that's part of what makes Steelers Nation so vast. The best, is that, yeah. is that, is that you guys are everywhere. But that's the thing. I, I, didn't, I, I liken it to when I was in college. I was away at Cheney, and I grew up a Steelers fan. I watched every game. I was cool, but when I was at Cheney, I was surrounded by Eagles fans, oh. by Giants fans, mm. all these. They, they were Cowboys fans there, and I was. It, it it just made me insane. It made you made you want the Steelers more, and it made you crazier as a fan. Imagine that you know you're all the way in the West Coast now. You're three thousand miles away from. Uh, from, from from Pittsburgh, you don't you know you're you have like your buddies that you know are your Steelers guys that you meet up with, or you don't have your buddies and you meet up with haters every week because that's what <laughs> feeds you to get through the week. And I get that. So when those fans get a chance to see their guys playing and they're playing inspired the way they did, they're gonna lose their minds. And also, I think also we should put this into perspective. That st- that stadium is dinky. It was uh, it's it's tiny, so those st- those fans are packed in onto the game. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of why when people try to people like Matt Sunday, our photographer, like they'll try to hype up the MLS. It's it's making so much progress. It's like no, you're just packing very small stadiums. And and, and Matt was like, man, this stadium was an awesome atmosphere. Him and Dale Lolly had a really good debate on that on DK Pittsburgh Sports. But you know, talking about oh man, th- this stadium was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, because it's smaller, because it is more intimate, and that is cool. There wasn't a bad seat in the house in right. that regard. Exactly, it's like the and, whole thing's a lower bowl. Right, exactly. It's it's just a lower bowl, but. In that, yeah, so you're not going to get an empty seat because there's so many people that clamor for football because you can pack 80,000, 100,000 stadiums, not 22,000 stadiums. Right. That, that, that's, what, that's what that was. So I get it. For the, for the image that it, that it was, that was impressive because it's, it's, like, it's like when a, when a, you know, when a, when a, when a B-list band goes to, goes to like a, a small bar and, they, and they, they, they pack the bar, it's like, man, like we really got it. But if you took them to the Benedum, they wouldn't sell that out. It's like you, you need the better framing to, 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 to show that. And I think that's what people saw was, man, when Steeler Nation comes to take over, and I've seen it. I was on, I've been on the road uh, in, in Arizona when the, when the last time. They'll go there again this year. I think you'll see an even crazier situation yep. there because Steelers fans are rampant in Phoenix, Arizona. But I've seen literally them take over the stadium where, and again, now that's a full stadium. That's University of Phoenix Stadium. That's that's packed. That's that's huge. And I remember like the scoreboard trying to find a place where Cardinals fans, just Cardinals fans were, and they couldn't because Steelers fans were just just jumping in every single photo. It is that's Steelers Nation, man. It, it really is, and I think you know, like I kind of alluded to, it, Steelers fans here in Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania, and, and maybe some who drive from New York or Ohio or West Virginia up to up to Heinz Field on Sundays. That's a regular opportunity for them, right? Eight times a year. 
depending. Maybe you come to a game every year. Maybe you've got season tickets. Maybe your family has season tickets and you go to two or three games every season, something like that, as opposed to these people in Los Angeles, in Phoenix, in Oakland, in San Francisco, where we saw, yep. saw a lot of Steelers fans as well, too. You might only get to see the team every few years, every four years. Yeah. If it's an NFC team, every eight years yeah. that they play in Arizona, that's mm-hmm. a long gap. And so I think you kind of alluded to it too, particularly when you have a stadium where there's less than 30,000 seats. Right. One, a lot of those people who went to that game, you might think, oh, Steelers, they took that stadium over and no one cares in Los Angeles about the Chargers. And you're right. But those fans still pay good money to go to that game. Absolutely. Because the lack of seats, the demand for tickets, particularly on the secondary market, was high. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of Chargers ticket holders who I bet you made a nice pr- nice, pretty penny selling, oh, their, exactly. uh, selling their tickets to Steelers fans. I think that all adds into you only get to see them every couple years. Mm-hmm. It's a smaller, more intimate atmosphere. The people who were there really wanted to be there because, right. as you mentioned, there's only 20-some thousand tickets available, not 70,000, not yeah. 65,000. And and that's why and that's also why it's different because this isn't like like when like when you see in college football when like Auburn's fans travel to Oregon or something like something ridiculous like yeah, that. Yeah, the team that you play once every 50 years. Right. And, and that's traveling. The Steelers fans doesn't Correct. travel. They're just everywhere. 90% of the Steelers fans who are at that game are from California. Yep. Or maybe Arizona or, or like, Nevada. But somewhere but somewhere in the West Coast. You draw draw a four, five, six-hour radius mm-hmm. around Los Angeles, yep. and that's where 90% of those Steelers fans came I, from. I, I, would, I would bet that. Yeah, it is funny to me how you always see, like I think NBC tweeted a video like, man, Steelers Nation really travels. And yes, they do. Watch the games in Cincinnati and yeah. Baltimore mm-hmm. and in Cleveland and you know times when they play Philly and New York. And Steelers Nation travels, no doubt about that. But like you said, Steelers Nation is everywhere, yeah, it is. particularly on the West Coast. I think that's maybe – you mentioned Arizona, Phoenix, and then maybe, you know, L.A. Those are probably the two uh, – the Steelers West hubs, <laughs> if <laughs> I mean, you will. Have you been to Harold's in Phoenix? It's a, it's, it's a bar. It's, it's, it's title – its title is officially the largest Steelers bar west of the Mississippi. Okay. If you go in there, Harold's in Phoenix. Yeah, Harold's. It's it, it's it's so Steelers down. They have a menu with items from with food from the Strip District. They have you walk in. There's Steelers pictures everywhere. They have a place you could bet on horse racing, just like just like Art Rooney used to bet on horse racing. And my uncle, and the reason I know is because my uncle used to live there. He said during the season. You basically had to buy like season tickets to be able to sit in the bar wow. to watch the Steelers. That's how insane Steeler Nation is. With how like like you know you didn't you could you didn't just stay home and watch. You went to there and, and they he said my uncle sat in that bar for something. Like he said Chris, it was it was like being in Heinz Field, and he's been in Heinz Field, and he's been in Miami and in San Francisco and all. The, he I mean he, he my uncle my uncle travels a lot, and he he's he's seen all the things. But when I was growing up, he would tell me like Chris, this is another level of of, of kind of things. That, that's the level that you guys bring out there, Steeler Nation, and keep bringing it because your team isn't out of it. No. In fact, they're right back in it. Exactly. And we can get into this. We're up against it here, but you got a bye week this week. Mm-hmm. Then you got Miami coming here on a Monday night. Yep. Okay, listen, take care of business. Yes, nothing is given in the National Football League. Nothing's guaranteed in the National Football League, but you like to think you can be three and four come next Monday night. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden... That matchup with the Colts would loom pretty large. You could be four and four. Yeah. 
and tied for first place or, or right in there, maybe, you know, a game out, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe, you know, Baltimore's got a tiebreaker over you versus that head to head matchup. The Steelers could be four and four by Halloween. And a lot of this uh, yeah. doom and gloom season is over talk. I mean, we could be going complete opposite. There is no doubt about that. We'll continue to get to your reaction on Twitter. We got the tweets rolling in. We will get to those when we come back inside the electric factory. Chris Carter in for Arthur Motes today. You can find him on Twitter at Carter Critiques. Find his work on DKPittsburghSports.com. Tweet us both at Carter Critiques at Wesley Euler. Carter's classroom coming up at 1 o'clock, but we'll get to some of your reaction before we get there, continuing to talk about this loss of Stephon Tuitt and what that means for the Steelers' defense here on Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. A season of next man up for your Pittsburgh Steelers. Chris, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Nope. Every NFL season for every NFL team seems like it develops some themes as the year rolls along. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, We talked about this a lot last year. It seemed like the theme for the Steelers last year was... Uh, defense couldn't hold on a lot of times at the end of games. Special teams didn't do them any favors at the end of games. Yep. They struggled in those one-score games last yep. year. Mm-hmm. They struggled to create turnovers defensively last mm-hmm. year. They turned the ball over too, too much, much on offense. Fumbling, fumbling in crucial scenarios yep. was a theme last year. We're hoping that that doesn't it's popped its head and a couple times this year. We're hoping it doesn't become one this year. And hand-in-hand hand with that, was they, they led the NFL in interceptions. I mean... They, they they had they had several themes that went with last year and yes. and again with all those things working against them they were still one game from half the, game uh, half a game from the, from the playoffs from that, that's hosting, right you're right from hosting from hosting a playoff, hosting a playoff game, game. And, and and who knows what that team could have done in the playoffs when uh we, you know with with because I, I I still I still amuse this and hear me out I'm not saying that they should go back and get Antonio Brown but imagine they make the playoffs at the end of the season. Like or they're in the position to make the playoffs going into the Bengals game. Mm-hmm. Antonio Brown doesn't throw his fit because they're, they're they're still they're still in a good position. Um he doesn't he he doesn't act like a jerk. They beat the Bengals soundly. They go into the playoffs. They win a couple games. They win maybe they win one game or they contest in a game. They beat the they get revenge on the Chargers. They beat the they, they, come, oh, they, 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 they would have they would have done that. They would have yeah. done that. And and then and they had already beaten the Patriots. That you could have you could have said, man, like that team could have done some damage in last year's playoffs. Now the Chiefs, I'm not sure if they would have gone on the road and done well there, but. They would have. It would have been an interesting conversation. And who, do, does Antonio Brown freak out as much as he did in this offseason If the team make that's that's how crazy things are. But if all that doesn't happen, this team doesn't get Devin Bush right now because they wouldn't have had the ammunition to trade up to go get him. I think that uh, things work out certain ways for certain reasons. It's. I'm glad you said that because it's kind of every action in sports, particularly in football, where it's such a small sample size of games, has 
an equal reaction, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned it there perfectly with a lot of the stuff that happened in New Orleans and with mm-hmm. Antonio Brown and the fallout and how that's come full circle and led to Devin Bush and some of these other things. Do you remember it would have been, what, 2000 and was it, I always forget, was it 02 or 03 when Which Ben was drafted? 04. 04. Okay, yeah. so it would have been 03. Yeah. Last game of the season, mm-hmm. Steelers are 5 and 10? Yeah. 6 and 10. 6 and six and 10 was their final record. Yeah. Right? For 2003. So at this point, they would have been 6 and 9. Yeah. Last game of the season, they're playing the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. The Ravens have already clinched the division. Yep. And. I'm picturing his face. Their coach before Harbaugh. Uh, I know you're Brian something. Brian Billick. Billick, yeah. Brian Billick decides for whatever reason, because they're playing the Steelers at home. Right. Yeah, we're not resting our starters. Even though we've got the playoffs, the division clinched already, even though it's a meaningless game for us, yeah, we're we're going to rub it in. We're going to beat the Steelers. We're going to rub it in. They're having a bad year. We're going to kick them while they're down. We're going to get a big win on the last week of the season. They beat the Steelers in overtime in that Mm -hmm. game. The Steelers losing that game allowed them to draft at 11, 11. instead of 15, yep. 16. 16. Which the, you don't get Ben Roethlisberger if you're back there, unless you trade up. It, on, the, on, this, on the same note, the, um, the kick, you, you remember the Titans game the two years before, well, the year before that 2003 playoff game. The, you know, Del Greco misses the kick, flops, and Joey Porter's like, man, they cheated us. If, if they had won that game, they would have gone to the AFC Championship with Tommy Maddox and that moves them back even further. Yep. Maybe, maybe they compete in that AFC Championship game, and who knows what hap- Who knows what happens with them with them that year? And that was the the the, the draft where they picked up Polamalu and they mm-hmm. traded up to get him. Do they have the same kind of ammunition to get him? You never know how these things work out. And a pr- another example, and, and this one was kind of on the flip side where it didn't work for the Steelers. Two thousand six. They've had a struggling year. Ben's coming off of his motorcycle injury. They're seven and eight, and they get to go to Cincinnati to beat them. If they beat them, they get eight and eight for Bill Cowers last season, and they'll knock the Bengals out of the playoffs. And mm-hmm. San Antonio Holmes catches it in overtime and takes it to the house, breaking the Bengals' hearts. But because they were eight and eight and not seven and nine, they're, they 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 in the first round the next year they draft Lawrence Timmons. Had they lost that game? They could have drafted Patrick Willis. Now imagine Patrick Willis, now as good as Lawrence Timmons was, imagine Patrick Willis in the in the prime of his primes on that 2010 on that 2000 Steelers team. team. I mean 2008 Steelers team, 2010 Steelers yeah. team. Imagine him with Troy Polamalu and oh. James Harrison. Patrick oh Willis my is gosh. one of my favorite non-Steelers to my ever watch play gosh. football. Gosh, and, and that's just you never know how how one win that seems so inconsequential at the moment can impact an entire legacy of an organization. If, if Brian Billick didn't want to thump his chest and yep. beat the Steelers they in maybe a never get ben game, they might never get Ben Roethlisberger. And the Craziness. Steelers, and, and you know what's funny, then the Ravens might not have got eliminated by the Steelers in all those the, playoffs. Yep, yep. They might have won more mm-hmm. Super Bowls. It, it's, it's, man, it's... The circle of life. It's funny how that works. You know the ultimate, um, you know the ultimate uh, example of this? In Pittsburgh, I think, that a lot of people don't realize. In 2004, the Penguins had the best odds to get the number one draft pick in the NHL draft. Mm-hmm. That was the Alexander Ovechkin year. They got second pick. Capitals get first pick. Penguins end up with Malkin. Mm-hmm. Capitals end up with Ovechkin. Oof. The next year, 
there's the lockout in the NHL. Mm -hmm. So they don't have results of a season to go based off of for the lottery for the draft. So what they did was they took your composite last five draft picks, and they used that to determine the odds of where you picked in the last five drafts to determine the odds. If the Penguins would have won the Alexander Ovechkin lottery and gotten first pick instead of second pick, their odds would have been worse the following year when Crosby came around, and they probably wouldn't have gotten Sidney Crosby. That's insane. So what seemed like bad luck at the time, because you lost out on Alexander Ovechkin, and oh man, you just ended up with some guy named Evgeny Malkin, some other Russian. (laughs) It turns out in the long run, right, that they probably wouldn't have gotten Crosby. Crosby would have probably been an Anaheim duck. That's insane. And that career would have wasted away. Now, I'm sure he would have won Stanley Cups and done great things, but that career would have wasted away out on the uh, West Coast in Anaheim (laughs) and California. And, And I mean, does... Do, do, do the Penguins get saved? I know they they were in a really rough right. spot at that point Maybe in time. Maybe the Penguins are playing in Kansas City or in Winnipeg or somewhere else right now. Also, if it, if it, if it, like the Steelers in 1970 had to win a coin flip to get the first overall pick of the draft with the Green Bay Packers. Yep. Um, and uh, that's how they got Terry Bradshaw. If they hadn't gotten won that coin flip, the next picks were Mike McCoy, who Mike Phipps, <laughs> what. Phil Olson, huh? I mean, there there wasn't a guy that they would they would have missed out on the franchise quarterback that won them their four Super Bowls. That's how that's how small that's that's how crazy sports can be with you know the smallest thing determining the the longest of futures. And it seems like, unfortunately, this year for the Steelers, we're talking about the future and talking about the themes and a lot of these things that can pop up during a season that you might not notice in the moment, but when you kind of look at the the bird's eye view picture, the bigger picture, they start to stand out. Uh, next man up, certainly becoming one for the Steelers this year. Uh, if you missed it somehow, if you're just joining us, if you didn't hear the official news, Stephon Tuitt out for the rest of the season. Yeah, uh, Mark makes a good point here on Twitter. Uh, hoping that the loss of Tuitt for the season is not reminiscent of the loss of Aaron Smith, the loss that Aaron Smith was about 10 years ago. Yeah. Lyman engaging multiple blockers benefits the linebacker and defensive back groups. That's something you talked about a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, how will the defense adjust personnel schematic or combo of both? I think that's a good question for you, Mr. Carter. Uh, is it a schematic adjustment? Obviously, we know there's going to be a personnel adjustment mm-hmm. to it's no longer available. Yeah. But is it is it just purely that, or could there be a schematic adjustment that comes with it as well, too? That's a good question because there might be a sense of the, uh, of Keith Butler trying to keep his linebackers free. That's because that's something that, that that they try to do with those guys. And when when you're when you're playing the run, the defensive line you do want them to penetrate and change the line of scrimmage, but you also want them to just keep the offensive line at bay so that Mark Barron, Vince Williams, Devin Bush can all flow freely behind the line and say we're attacking this gap. We're attacking, and they can see what's going on and assess. There might be a change of pace with how they handle that situation. I don't think it'll be too much of a change because I do think they want to maintain the continuity they've had behind their defensive line. I agree. And I mean, they're getting lots of lot lots of. I mean, I, th- I think they had ten pass breakups in this last game, and I think that may have given them thirty one on the season. That's, that's crazy. That's insane. Like they're getting their hands it's like to the football. It's a complete one eighty from last year. Exactly. And you know, a guy too who I don't two guys who I don't think we've given enough credit to. At least Who on this show, within the, the two hours that we do every day, <laughs> uh, Terrell Austin and Tom Bradley. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that that secondary complete one eighty from last year. And, and I'd say Tom Bradley helped last year eliminate the big plays. You yes. didn't see because in twenty seventeen you saw several times 
like the Titans, they, they're getting beat up, and all of a sudden you see this random wide receiver just run down the field and get an 80-yard touchdown. The Colts the same way. They almost yes. lost to Jacoby Brissett in, in yep. Indianapolis because he threw two long passes that the secondary was just like, what happened? Tom Brady cut that off, but they still weren't finding the ball. Now, granted, this is a little different. Because they went and got the players along with they got Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, uh, Terrell Edmonds in his second year. They got Steve uh, Stephen Nelson, so they've got some players back there, and as well as Devin Bush at the linebacker position, also getting his hands on the football. So there's a little personnel things, but they're absolutely they're they're finding the ball better, and you're seeing that in those moments. Cam Sutton, I've always liked Cam Sutton West when he was playing as a, as a volunteer at Tennessee. In the SEC. Wait, he was playing as a volunteer? I thought he was on scholarship. Uh, Ha-ha. Wes, keep your day job. Uh, But... (laughs) But uh, but when he was playing in college, I saw him do a lot of fundamental things well. He was a good tackler. He could play every position. And then when he came to the Steelers, I thought, like, man, his footwork's really solid. He's staying in position. He's, he's finding ways to at least challenge the football. But you just he didn't get his hands on the ball. And that was something that you're like, man, if he can develop that someday, Cam Sutton be very good. And that's what he did this week. He, he like when Mike Williams ran an in route, he cut inside. He punched his hands right through Mike Williams' hands. Mm-hmm. You know, knocked the ball out when uh, when they tried to run the fade on him. He posted up on Mike Williams, but he made sure his hand found the ball before Williams's did. And uh, and the interception, he caught the football. It's those type of things that are stepping up for the, for the for the for the secondary this year. And how about Mike Hilton uh, before he, before Cam Sutton caught it? Mike Hilton almost with the Willie Mays esque. Oh man, wouldn't that, that would have been something? That would have been spectacular. I mean, and he did a great job adjusting to it because if he, he really he, did, he was in position, and Philip Rivers just threw up a duck. Uh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he just he just threw up a duck, and he he found a way to get on under it. it. Just he just couldn't corral it. I mean, but that's that's also why these guys play defense and not offense. <laughs> Hope chimes in here. I think I heard in passing that Renegade was played at the Chargers game. Was that a joke or did someone play it? No, that's real. So they tried to rickroll yeah. Steelers fans. Yeah, that was that those, was actually really funny, though. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, it's the Rick Astley, I'm never going to give you up, well, the, never going to let Wes, you Wes, down. they're no strangers to love. They know never the rules, and so do I. <laughs> never going to make you cry. You know that song. They, they call that getting rickrolled. Well, so they started playing Renegade, right? Mm-hmm. And then they went into that. But I think by the time they tried to rickroll the Steelers crowd, they were already going so nuts that nobody knowed. Like it, nope. They almost nobody drowned cared. out the music. Yep. And I think you saw that reaction from a lot of the Chargers players because they didn't know that it was like a joke. Right. Because they just heard Renegade and they saw all the terrible towels and heard Steelers fans going nuts and that's all you could hear. Hunter Homestead, go to his Twitter. Uh, he's, he's, our, he's our guy at DK Pittsburgh Sports. He, he went and got the video of it, of the actual moment when they're playing mm-hmm. Renegade. And it looks like high the tiles, the tiles are twirling. You hear like, oh my. Yeah. And you hear for, for a couple seconds, but then it's drowned out. Yeah, it's drowned. And then you they, can't even, and right. it's like a minute later, you hear the, da, 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 the and, at the very and tail end. And it's that, like, wait a second, what happened? That made me laugh. Like, I thought that was legitimately funny, but. The Steelers fans didn't care at that point. They're they, like, they just like, taking it over. They're already hyped up that their team is winning on the road with an undrafted rookie against Phillip Rivers, and they want to get revenge on the Chargers. And they're and this and they, again, these are fans. They've never been to the Mecca. They've all they've ever heard. They've seen YouTube of Renegade. I get Renegade on the West Coast of Los Angeles. Whoa! I'm losing my mind. And I'm like, and I, they did lose their mind. And, 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 and in retrospect. 
probably wasn't a good idea by the Chargers no. sc- uh, scoreboard people to do that. I'm sure they thought, like, man, this would be really hilarious and we'll get on national TV and for that. Steelers fans will be, you know, they'll be, oh, man, oh, man. they fooled us. No, <laughs> please. Steelers fans, don't. You, you, you give them, you give us an inch, the Steelers fans yeah. go and take a mile. Maybe if there was only 10,000 Steelers fans there, that prank would have worked, but yeah. not when there's 28. 28- Right, right, yeah, because they take up every seat in your stadium. There was a beautiful picture that someone took of one Chargers fan sitting amongst like a hundred Steelers fan and looking around like, "What is this?" What happened? Yeah, there had to be. I'd love, you know, it'd be funny. I'm sure there's someone out there. Maybe I could see if I could find, do some recon on Twitter. If any of you are at all tapped into the Chargers community at all, there's got to be right, like some diehard Chargers fan who was at that game. Who was just cursing all? You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Like, who's yep. sitting there in his season tickets? Yep. And all you know, uh, two thousand people in his section sold their tickets to Steelers mm-hmm. fans, and he's sitting there like, "What are we doing?" Yep. Like, if you found that person on Twitter, direct him my way because I'd like to maybe have him on the show. That would actually be really funny. <laughs> because, to hear that. as Chris says here on Twitter, Steelers Nation is like Visa everywhere you want to be. Yep. And I, I got to imagine it, it had to be tough, at least for a couple of the few, you know, like, I don't know, all Baker's dozen of the diehard Chargers fans that there are out there. Well, there's probably one, like a Baker's dozen. Is that fair? Or am I giving them too much credit? <laughs> I think I think you can say Baker's dozen. They, they were in the teens. They got into the teens a little bit because I did see a, a little bit of blue sparkling. Uh, but this is also, this is what stunk about moving the Chargers out of San Diego. Yes. I, I mean, I still think the Steelers would have sh- fans would have showed up in force in San Diego. No doubt. But 60-40 in the stadium. Yeah, it, it, but not yeah, 95 to 5%. 5%. Right. And that's that's what that was uh, that's what was unfair to the Chargers is that when they moved to Los Angeles, they moved away from their base. And I mean, it, it, it means it, it's really on the Chargers cuz their ownership made this decision, but those players, they didn't make the decision to leave no. San Diego. And San Diego, they were loyal to the Chargers. They were like, you know, like, like those those fans like, "What are you doing? Why are you moving away from us?" We're a legitimate city. I mean, Pitt, my, my my girlfriend was went, went there. She was like, "San Diego's like Pittsburgh, but it's always seventy degrees." Yeah. And I was just like, "What? They, they, that place it's is a beautiful place. It, it, it sounds like paradise." I'm like, "Why would you move away from there?" But L.A., big money. I get it. And they're getting their stadium soon. And the stadium, all the specs on the stadium look like it's going to be amazing. Amazing. But if your team stinks and and, and you're setting the tone with how games are going to go right now. How many people are really going to start showing up to those games? And uh, NFL teams have seen in the past in L.A., if you stink, L.A.'s not going to just show up like like Buffalo, like Pittsburgh, like Cleveland, and just show up every year and just be like, this is my team. You know, they'll be like, look, man, we got the Lakers. You know, when the Angels are hot, they're hot. You know, and, 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 and again, and the Rams are hot right now. And the, 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 the Dodgers, they, they've they always got a team. They go, heck, the Clippers. and They've got Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James in the same city. So they, 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 if you're if you're they've won stink, Stanley Cups in that city, in I the forgot last about 10 that. Years. Yeah, the Kings. Yeah. But that's won my point. Two in the last ten years, LA, LA is not a, a, a sports deprived city. That's thinking, man, this team's here. We got to go support them. You're like, right. it's LA because you'll. I leave, got a million other things. Yeah, to do. I got a million other things to do. I got a million other teams to follow. And if you lose, if you leave in five years, who cares? We're gonna get another franchise in ten years. So it's whatever. And I think too, like you said, it's it's Rams fans, it's Raiders fans. And then probably Steelers and Giants. And you get a, a lot of fan bases out there before you get yep. to the Chargers in Los Angeles for sure. Still time to chime in on Twitter. At Carter Critiques, at Wesley Euler. An hour in the books when we come back. Oh, my favorite part of the show, Carter's Classroom. If you're familiar 
with Chris's work at DK Pittsburgh Sports. He does some outstanding breakdowns, and he will bring that to our radio waves here next. Chris Carter in for Arthur Remotes. You're listening to Euler and Motes at Steelers Blitz on SNR. Euler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Good afternoon, Steelers Nation. How we doing? Well, that's good. Inside the Electric Factory, Chris Carter in for Arthur Motes. Today, a weird schedule this week, Chris. It's been, you know, it's been goofy. Yesterday, it was almost like everybody moved up the batting order yesterday. (laughs) Motes and I were in for Tunch and Wolf. And Tom Opferman, shirtless Tom and Kellen, filled in for Motes and I yesterday on the Blitz, doing a great job. Mm -hmm. Those guys, uh, back today, normal time. Tomorrow, normal time as well, too. Motes will be back tomorrow. Tunch and Wolf will still be doing their show tomorrow. And then those old fogies are taking a long weekend off with the bye week. And so Motes and I will move up the batting order again on Thursday and Friday. You can hear us from 10 to noon here on SNR on ESPN Pittsburgh as well. Spoiler alert. That means we'll be taking calls <laughs> since we'll be on the ESPN Pittsburgh lines, baby, hey. on Thursday and Friday. Uh, but make sure you uh, power grid Steelers Nation. Keep it locked here at noon still on Thursday and Friday as Kellen and Tom will bring their Steelers Saturday to the Blitz Thursday, Friday. So a jam-packed week for you. Despite the bye week, no days off for the rest of us. Well, unless you're Tunchin' Wolf. (laughs) At Wesley Euler, at Carter Critiques on the Twitter.com. Time to go inside Carter's classroom. For those of you familiar with Chris Carter's work at DK Pittsburgh Sports, he has a couple benchmarks that he does there. The War Room, Carter's Classroom, all outstanding work. Again, find him on Twitter, at Carter Critiques, his work on DK Pittsburgh Sports. If you're just getting familiar with my partner here, Chris, I always love this, man. When you fill in a little Carter's Classroom, what do you got for us today? So, I wrote for DK Pittsburgh Sports today on the offensive line. But go to DK Pittsburgh Sports and read about that. Today I'm going to focus on one particular player. It's the guy I said should have gotten the, the game ball, my man Cameron Sutton. Love it. And the plays that he was making. Now we're going to break down four different plays He had and, and the four plays that he made the biggest Im- impact on in the game. We're going to start in the fourth quarter because that's really when he turned it on for the Steelers. No doubt. Now, Joe Hayden's out, which means Artie Burns is really your number one corner now. And Cam Sutton has to bump out of the slot. They Traditionally, all season, he's been filling in on third downs. Hilton will do first and second so he can stop the run and blitz the quarterback. And then Cam Sutton comes in on third downs because he's bigger. He can take on tight ends. He can win those jump ball situations and, and be more competitive on those, on those passing downs. But now you've got to bump Sutton down to the outside because Justin Lane's not ready for that yet. So this is what happened. And then as soon as Phillip Rivers saw that, he said, man, there's a fourth-string cornerback. That's on my 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 Mike Williams, who was the seventh overall pick back in 2017, the same draft where Cam Sutton was selected in the third round. So you're talking about a guy who was a top ten pick versus third round. You you should absolutely win that matchup, right? Wrong. <laughs> and and so let let's get let's get into how it's that. We're gonna start with a crossing pattern that 
that that Cam Sutton right at the line of scrimmage with Mike Williams. Uh, he comes off the play, and I just I always love the way Cam Sutton frames everything. He's such a smart football player. He really is. And, and he comes out of the play. He he starts in his drop back. He's letting Mike Williams you know run a little bit, but he's staying right in position. And you see where he's positioned. He 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 knows that he's got he's giving up the inside just a little bit, but he's trying but he's trying to let he's trying to say, hey Mike Williams, we're gonna force you to the inside where the rest of the defense is. But where's his head at the start of the play? It's right in the middle of Mike Williams' numbers. Corner, if, if, if there's a young young football player out there that, that, that's, that wants to play cornerback out there, this is where your head needs to be. You need to be right on, the, right on their numbers because that's where you see, as soon as they start to shift, any, any receiver, even Antonio Brown with how shifty he is, you keep your, head, your, your, you keep your, your eyes on their midriff. Don't look at their head. Don't look at their hands. Don't look at their feet. Their body will tell you where they're going to go. And Cam Sutton processes the body language of Mike Williams extremely well. As he breaks into this route, he doesn't even hesitate. He's uh, he, uh, uh, Sutton doesn't even hesitate as Mike Williams starts to cut in on his route because Sutton's head is in the right position. As soon as those shoulders shoulders turn, he breaks on it. He doesn't do it too aggressively. He stays he stays in position. He doesn't give up his spot. So if Mike Williams cuts back, he has time to react. But as he's as that's happening, Mike Williams he has to go up for the ball and he's a bigger receiver. He goes up for the ball. Phillip Rivers throws a good ball. He has to leap. And what does Cam Sutton do? He leaps right with him. And as the as the play's coming through, something that I've always talked to the Steelers defenders out and something that Tom Bradley and Terrell Austin teach fight through the hands and what yes. happens when the ball gets to Mike Williams Cam Sutton's hands are right in the middle of his and they're punching the ball out they're knocking it loose it's flying free and now Mike Williams can't make a can't make a spectacular catch over the middle wiping out a play that Philip Rivers thought he had because he said hey that cornerback has it has outside leverage we're going to we're going to we're going to throw an in route here and take it away that's how you fool a Hall of Fame quarterback and take away a pass that he thought was there. So that was the first play. I was like, okay, Cam Sutton, way to, way to, way to show up for your team right there. Let's, but let's go to another play. And this one was more of a physical play. This wasn't just, just technique. This was where they tried to use Mike Williams' strength because he hasn't had a spectacular year. But last year when he started to catch on in 2018, it's because they were just throwing it to them in the zone. He was one of those jump balls, and he's, he's a big guy. So and you saw his catch radius on a couple oh, of those. It's ins- he, he's he's insane. I mean, the game that they beat the Chiefs in last year, he he was a big part of that. Well, they're in the red zone late in the fourth quarter, and once again, Cam Sutton one on one with Mike Williams. Sutton this time knows he ha- he has to pin he has to pin Williams to the sideline. He cannot let him cross his face and get inside of him because when you're in the red zone, if someone crosses your face, you and you don't have that interior help, that's an easy touchdown on a slant. So yes, f- so Mike Williams tries to fake him out that he's going to the inside. Sutton doesn't 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 bite at all. He maintains his inside leverage while keeping his his, his eye on the on that inside part part of his shoulder. Then when he sees the ball's coming his way, he looks up, identifies the ball. Williams tries to box him out, but Sutton using his hands not to deter him, not to say get off the position, not pushing him, but he's using his hand to say, hey, this is my spot on the field. I'm allowed to defend the spot on the field and go for the football. So then when the when the ball comes, his his right hand is right on Mike Williams' chest, and it's not extended, so he's not going to draw that penalty. His left hand goes up, finds the football, swats it down, and Mike Williams was even grabbing onto uh, Cam Sutton's hand because he had established his position, won that battle, and if Williams doesn't grab Sutton's hand, he might be able to get a second hand around and get an interception yeah. in the red zone, which would have ended the game even sooner than it did. So there, you have a, you have another pass breakup when they when in the red zone where Philip Rivers is saying, "Hey, I got a mismatch. Let's go to my guy, Mike Williams," and it didn't work. So 
another huge play from Cam Sutton. Let's 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 move forward. Let's move forward again. This time we're gonna go to special teams. Ooh. So this is the you know, this is the onside kick. And, and okay. I, I know people are thinking it's just an onside kick. Where's the where's the strategy in that? Where's the he just caught the ball? Well, it's how he caught the ball, Wes, and it's how he made sure to secure the football. So remember the rules. As an onside kick team, you're given 10 yards of space where they have to kick the ball. You could touch it wherever you want. But if the ball's short, you let it go because they can't touch it. It's a penalty. Right, exactly. It's a penalty. You get the ball anyways. Game would be over. Well, Cam Sutton lines up right on that 10-yard mark. The Steelers give him some space. You got you got a couple guys up there, sort of you know get, you know blocking the the the, the Chargers uh, onside team, trying to give him the space to catch it. And Cam Sutton, he doesn't wait for the ball to come to him. He's, he puts his foot on on the, on that ten yard line. He high points it, and that's the important part of it, is that he got up, it went up and got it. And then you got uh, T.J. Watt's brother Derek Watt coming in underneath him. He submarines him. Flips him around, and that that's really a well-timed hit on his part because now, Cam Sutton, you've high-pointed the ball. You're not a receiver. You're thinking just grab the ball, get up here, and we've won the game. Now someone's taking your legs out, and you're flipping all the way around. Now he lands on his head, but he tucks the football. It's well-protected. The Chargers try to pile in on him, and it, and it does squirt loose for a second, but he's right on top of it. He pulls it back in. Cam Sutton makes a heck of a play on, on to, to recover the onside kick. That's the kind of play that you're saying, man. If you know when you're contributing on special teams and defense, you're 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 just giving you're giving your 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 team all the chances to win the game. Um, and uh, and, and you know let, let's again let's let's look now let's look to the last play of the game for the defense where you got the interception. And this one wasn't necessarily as much Sutton doing everything on his own. This was Philip Rivers was backed up on his one yard line because of great special teams from the Steelers. Um, and uh, and he he was getting desperate. But again, Mike Williams, you know what you got to do. How many times have we seen the Steelers blow those type of opportunities? Philip Rivers drops back. Sutton gives about an eight to ten yard cushion to Williams. He he stay he stays in his drop. He never he never. And this is what I love about Sutton is that. He never stares at the quarterback too early. There's because there's what, what there's what cornerbacks do is that you get caught looking in the backfield, and you can get caught looking in the backfield means I'm staring at the quarterback, waiting for it, waiting to read his eyes, but then I lose my receiver because I wasn't paying attention to him. Your job as a cornerback is to look look at the wide receiver, keep your head right again, eyes right on the numbers, mm-hmm. watch their body language, where they're going, and then. From their body language or from your instincts, that's when you look up and you find the ball. And that's where it's, that's where that tough balance is for so many defensive backs, Wes, is that they try to look for the ball too early, and then they get beat by the receiver, and then they give up a wide-open play. Or, or they try and look for the ball too late. And they can't get to it. Or it's a face-guarding pass interference. It's exactly. And that's that, That's why defensive backs are is, – is the defensive backfield in football is one of the most difficult positions in all of sports, being safety no or cornerback, because you have – maybe two seconds sometimes, to find the football, remember where you are, understand where your receiver is, play the football, and, and be in that position. Play the receiver, but not too physically. And, and not too physically. <laughs> and find and find the ball, maybe catch it. That's why when those guys can make interceptions, the Kevin Byards, the Jalen Ramseys, mm-hmm. you know, the Xavier House, those kind those type of guys, that's why they get paid. That's why Joe Hayden got paid from the Steelers, because he was a guy that when the ball comes his way, he's finding it. Hayden made another very impressive breakup. We won't do that because we're focused on Sutton today. But um, but but that's one thing. And on this play, what happens when the ball comes to Sutton? 
You know, you're, when the ball's re- released, Sutton's in position. He's making sure Mike Williams cannot get behind him. He has that responsibility. And what happens when the ball's when the ball's let loose? It could have been a better football from Phillip Rivers. But point is, how many times last year did the, the, the football hit the Steelers in the hands and they dropped it? And it happened a few times in this game. Anthony Ciccolo dropped an interception on the first drive of the second half that would have practically ended the game because the Steelers would have been in the red zone. Right. Uh, Mika Fitzpatrick dropped an interception. The play before, we just talked about Mike Hilton dropped an interception. Cam Sutton. Didn't do that here. As soon as it comes to him, he feels it like a punt, over-the-shoulder catch, turns around, gets upfield. Should have fell down, I think, for the good of the team, but he was trying to return it and get his points because he saw the end zone. He's like, man, I've never scored a touchdown <laughs> in the NFL. I want to get mine. And I get that. But all in all, sound play from Cam Sutton, fundamental play all around. And when you mix fundamentals with decent ball skills, you can make a living in this NFL. And that's what I think Cam Sutton is doing. That's why I've said for years – I think he has a, a future on the Steelers' defense. He he reminds me a lot of Deshae Townsend in those mm, late 2000s. That's a great you comparison. Know, n- not, not, uh, not really big, not really fast, but he would be physical when you needed him. He was a reliable tackler. If you threw the ball his way and it was a bad pass, he was going to pick it off. I mean, remember the the, the interception he, uh, he returned for a touchdown on Tony Robo in 2008 to flip that huge Cowboys game around? Those are the type of plays Cam Sutton makes. And again, this is his, just his fourth year in the league, um, you know, and so. And he's dealt with. I'm sorry, this is his third year. Third year, third year right? Yeah. See, but yeah, see, that's the thing. Say. I think he's been here so long and because of how smart he is. First year, right? He was injured most of the season. He was injured yeah. half the season, and in his first debut game was against the Bengals when Joe Hayden went out, and he had to guard AJ Green yeah. for an entire half of football, and did a spectacular job. And I'm telling you, you talk to this guy, he knows his football, he knows his footwork, he's all over it. Cam Sutton is a dog in the NFL. I think he's got a serious future. The Steelers need to make sure they hold on to him. I know they just signed Hayden to a long extension. I know they got Steven Nelson. He's playing very well. But I think Cam Sutton could be the next guy in line to be part of a serious secondary. Cam Sutton was a guy two summers ago at training camp, right? So not this past. It's not training camp 2K19. Right. Training camp 2018. Yep. My first day of work with iHeartRadio with this new job was training camp last summer. So mm-hmm. training camp of 2018, July 27th. Yep. July 26th, I moved home from Philadelphia. July 27th, I moved out to Latrobe for three weeks. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was quite a whirlwind. And as soon as I got out there, right, I obviously was a Steelers fan and followed the team my whole life, but I had been living in Philadelphia for almost three years, and I had been living outside of Cleveland in Ohio for the two years prior to that. So I was like a sponge, Chris. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Back, um, you know, working in the, working in Pittsburgh media, trying to get my feet wet as quick as possible. Yep. Um, obviously, I'd be lying to you if I told you during those years that I was working in Cleveland and, and when I was in Philly, I was working specifically for the Eagles radio network. I didn't get to watch as many Steeler games as I normally did because I'd be working all Sundays mm-hmm. for, for another team. So right when I get back to training camp, right, I'm asking all kinds of questions. I'm picking everybody's brain. I'm trying to learn as much about the team and soak it all in as possible. Cam Sutton was a guy that everybody brought up to me. Yeah. Punch and Wolf, Crowley, Williamson, Dale Lawley. It it, it didn't matter. Any of the football guys that I talked to at training camp, right, Mike Pursuta, they were all like, I'm telling you, this guy Cam Sutton can play. He could be be a real nice asset for the Steelers. It was a third-round pick. He could be one of those guys who – you know, it's not like he was a seventh-round pick, but he right. could be one of those day two, day three selection guys who, you know, a year or two from now, everyone's like, man, how did that guy, you know, fall so far in the draft? They were all just a year off in their prediction <laughs> because this year that 
I feel has certainly come to fruition, and he's been a huge asset for that team. Absolutely. And again, he's a guy that can play slot and outside cornerback. That's a, that Again, that wipes out two spots on your depth chart that you got to be concerned about, and he's backing up Mike Hilton because Hilton loves to do those early downs. Mm-hmm. He's, such, he's such a smart player. And that's the thing, like, you know, I've 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 said this for a while. I, I, I maybe they've tried it, and the Steelers—they're smart. They're smart to me about football. That's why they're the Steelers. <laughs> but I, I've I've always wondered what if they tried to give Cam Sutton this sort of Cam Kelly role of being the third mm. safety on the field. Let him big roam nickel. a bit. Exactly. Let him be the big nickel. Now, he's not a big guy. He's decently sized for a cornerback, and he can make the plays. He's not Mike Hilton. Um, uh, but. I'll tell I'll tell you what I I think Cam Sutton could be placed anywhere on this defense. You know, as as far as the the unofficial guys that have to not the unofficial the the unsung guys that that should be signed moving forward. I know they got big contracts coming up with yeah, T.J. Watt, no Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, and, uh, and but Cam Sutton needs to be among those guys because I don't think as much as you don't want to lose Hargrave and you don't want to lose Hilton. I think Cam Sutton's a guy that they would severely regret losing for the long term. Also, shout out to the to basically the the majority of that 2017 draft class. Yeah, Watt getting sacks. Juju what didn't a get. Year, huh? didn't, yeah, he. Uh, this is insane. That, 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 that's a heck of a draft. That draft is insane. And people already thought it was crazy because they had Watt. Connor and Juju, but I've been saying for a while. Don't forget Cam Sutton, and he may he may be able to be a guy that 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 steps in just to be big, as big as those guys. Heck of a night for that for that crew. I know Juju didn't get the production, but he's still getting open. That first play, if uh, if Duck if Duck Dynasty leads him down the field, buddy, it was a touchdown, buddy. Yeah, that's true. That's maybe one of the few things wrong that Duck did the entire game. But yeah. Jeez, T.J. Watt, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cam Sutton, James Conner. Yep. What a draft. I mean, even Dobbs was from that draft yep. class. Yep, and, 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 and he was good enough to draft, to, to trade, to get another guy in here so you can get a veteran tight end. Um, uh, I know people, There's you know, people. whenever the Steelers lose, they want to blame Kevin Colbert and Mike Tom. They want to say, oh, you stink at drafting. But when you look at some of the draft classes, and they, yeah, they've had their stinkers. 2008 was not a great draft class. But then when you get years like 2017, come on. You, you gotta just admit that these guys know what they're doing, and you got and now and and I know everyone's gonna be like, well, they got a whole bunch of first rounders on defense. Well, yeah, but a lot of these guys are making plays out here right now. Seven straight first round picks. Yep, going back to Jarvis Jones, going back to Jarvis Jones, I believe. I think that's the longest streak in, in the Super Bowl era, yeah. too. I think yep. I saw a gra- they showed a graphic about that. Yeah, on, was, that on was Sunday. Yeah, that was like, and, and it's funny because had had some of those guys worked out like Jarvis Jones. You took a stab there. He wasn't that athletic, but he I, I was so excited for that pick. Can yeah. I just tell you? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I was a senior in college. I was parading around our living room in mm-hmm. Morgantown, West Virginia, because I was so excited they drafted and, and, Jarvis Jones. And you should have been. In college, he looked great. He's oh. in the SEC. You know me. I'm a big college football guy. I loved watching that guy play in college. And, and it just it just didn't materialize. And, and But that's one of those things that, like, you know what? Sometimes you miss. But then when you go get a player like Ryan Shazier – Right. Yeah, you, know, you get a guy like Cam Hayward at the very end of the first round. You get a guy like TJ Watt at pick what, 20 something? 20 something, yeah. And and I'll tell you what, a lot of people were saying because the, people wanted to and and I I was among them that were like, "Man, what if they got another inside linebacker that was extremely athletic next to Ryan Shazier? Um and and Reuben Foster from Alabama was was on that list and the Steelers passed right over him and you know rightfully so because he had he had all those those concerns and he's had you know some domestic violence concerns and whether or not those have been true because there's been some battles there 
TJ Watt has been an exemplary football player. I mean, and look at the story of him and his brothers. Yeah. Like, like you said with the Spider Man stuff, they were they're, they're him and JJ are competing over who's the best uncle to to uh, to their to their nephew. It's the, the, they have they have absolutely made that right decision there. And uh, Terrell Edmonds looks like an absolute absolute dog out there. They they've they've gotten so many things right about that. They really have, and it's why now, right, we're still confident that this unit can continue to be dominant, can to keep Steelers in games, can win Steelers games, uh, even in the absence of the, the disappointing, the tough news that Stephon Tuitt is going to be out for the remainder of the season. Chris Carter in for Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler with you here on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at Carter Critiques. When we come back here, I'm going to do a little around-the-league discussion with Mr. Carter because last night, some controversy at Lambeau Field. Sunday, some some controversy with the officiating and, and discussion that just seems like it's not going anywhere. We'll get into some of that when we return. You're inside the electric factory listening to Steelers Blitz mm-hmm. on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Having some fun here on a Tuesday afternoon with our buddy Chris Carter. And this is just rare in general because normally Tuesdays are Tomlin press conference days. You know, Coach Tomlin speaks for about a half an hour at noon. Then Dale and Jerry Dulac do the wrap up. And then Mm -hmm. you get an hour of Savard on Steelers. So normally Tuesdays are, you know, I'm just down at the Steelers cafeteria producing and <laughs> and eating that delicious food they oh, have there it's so good uh an inside joke that we have on the show to let you in to peel back behind the curtain a little What's bit up? is you know the Steelers unfortunately they lose games from time to time the Steelers chefs though undefeated undefeated no those guys yeah never those, lost. those guys never lose every week and like there's times that like I'm like hey man why why ain't y'all do the same thing as last week and they're like well, wait a minute just try this little bit of sauce this is yeah. a little horseradish <laughs> horseradish sauce why would I ever eat oh my god this is amazing right? <laughs> it really is incredible like I did that same thing too when I last year when I first started eating lunch there a couple times a week when we were down at the facility I'd be like, okay, if it was a day where they were doing something a little yeah. different, yeah. I'd be like, all right, you know, I'm just going to get a sandwich. I'm just going to – I'll do salad bar, you know. But now it doesn't nope. matter. Nope. Whatever the du jour, whatever the item du jour is, yeah, just I'm crush all it. about it. Crush it, man. Just put it on my plate. I'll eat it. And whenever they give you something fresh carved, I'm like, yep, yep, just put it here. I mean, Steelers training camp, I eat ridiculously oh. out there. Oh, the sushi and the, the, the sushi. fillets oh God, don't and get the, me started the pasta bars. Oh, and, every, and, every, and the thing is, every day, it's not just one thing. Because if you don't like the sushi, right. guess what? We got fresh carved, like, steak there's over here. There's a burger here. station there's over here. There's a burger here. station. Yeah. Or there's, there's pizza this. over yeah. here. And, and not just one time. They have ostrich burgers. They have, like, bison burgers. They have water buffalo burgers. Water buffalo burgers. I didn't burgers. even know water buffalo was a real thing. I just right. thought it was a, a character from VeggieTales. <laughs> But that's the whole point is that they just have all these things. Uh, ostrich burger? I was like, I just want to see what an ostrich burger You know what? Ostrich tastes pretty good. I know they're really fast, but that's pretty good. Elk burgers? Why not? Steelers, chefs, they, you're right. They are undefeated. undefeated. Never lost. Never lost. 
Uh, the Lions last, lost last night. In a rough, in rough fashion, man. And they are not happy today, and the football community in general is and not happy today. they shouldn't be. It's, it was insane. The two really bad hands-of-the-face calls on the Lions. <sighs> yep, Trey Flowers. One that helped the touchdown drive, one that helped the field goal drive. Mm-hmm. The and, and normally, hey, I am totally, when it comes to head contact in the year of our Lord 2019 <laughs> in the National Football League, you got to err on the side of caution. I get it. But that helmet-to-helmet call on the Lions last night was a bad call. Yeah. I mean, a guy is diving for the ball at the ground. Yeah. I mean, it's he, insane. He, he literally, they made, <laughs> they made head contact, which there was, don't get me wrong, at, at the guy's ankles. I mean, what is a defender supposed to do in that situation? This worries me, Chris, that we're going to continue what I think has been a, a bad idea this year in the rolling out of, you know, the Sean Payton rule, as I call it. Yeah. And the, and the pass interference the pass interference reviews. I think when games like last night happen, too, we get closer to expanding that, not rolling it back, when I just want better officiating. The yep. NFL is a multi Multi billion. That's b- 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 with billion a b- with a b billion business, mm-hmm. entertainment business. All right, all this stuff that we do. As much as we love the Steelers and we love the game of football and we love this in our Sundays and our Mondays and our Thursdays and I'm right there with you in our Saturdays with college football. The National Football League is a billion dollar entertainment business. Yeah. Why are we every year? It seems like this gets worse and worse, not better. Just, it, 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 I agree. It gets worse and worse. They're bringing, you know, they're always bringing in new rules that, that, and the rules they don't simplify things. They make it more complicated. Remove yes. the, the complication. Remove the complexity. Also, I've been saying this for years. They need to have all full time reps. Full-time. There are some that are full time. I think it's like twenty five percent or so are full time. Everybody needs to be full time around the clock, around the year officials. And yes, that means there will be twenty six weeks where they're where they're not at at games. But see, I, and that's a big argument, a counter argument, right? Is okay. Well, the NFL, you know, four weeks preseason, seventeen week regular season playoffs. Okay, what do they do for the other half of the year? Oh, easy. Yeah, they study. They go to high school. They study, obviously. Yeah, yeah. like they're about to take the bar exam, right, exactly. which you would know all about. Yeah, but they also they go around to high schools. And they talk to high school football teams and high school football coaches, and this is how you tackle, and this is what a reception is, and this is, pro- and they go to colleges, yep. and they go to, you know, they go to spring football exactly. and, and for Big Twelve schools and SEC Immerse schools. Immerse yourself schools. in football. They answer questions from the players and from the coaches. They do seminars. Yep. They immerse themselves in football. 52 weeks a year, not 365 days because yeah. everybody deserves some days off. Right. But they, they go to high schools. They go to college campuses. They do seminars. Yeah. They, there is ways, again, in a multi-billion-dollar mm-hmm. entertainment business to keep these guys busy. And at the same time, and don't people try to say, well, you're going to tell me you're going to spend all that money? Do, do you hear what you're talking about? I, I've heard that argument before. Do you know how much money that, like you just said, they're multi-billion dollars. You think that they can't afford a crew of a hundred refs at, at full-time salary? Extra ten million bucks a year. Exactly. And that's if that, overestimated. If that's that, if that, yeah. like, come on, like, they're not they're, those guys ain't made. You you pay me a hundred thousand dollars a year to to be an official to fly around the. You kidding me? You know how many people would sign up for that job? And again, high quality guys, guys that are. Oh, you got to take eye tests. Yeah, you got to take. I yep. mean, you have to take football. Like, like, yep. it's like becoming IQ a lawyer. Test. Yeah, it's like becoming a doctor. Yep. 
and, and and go through intense training camps that get you ready. Yes. And, and they do go through their training. They do. They do. They, they, they do have to get ready for it. And and not all officials stink. But when you're doing a whole other job for for, for you know during the week and then you fly out like that's just that's not conducive to to how right. to how, how you should how you should be in the game. You you, you, you should be studying the teams that you're every, about to watch every They're day. About to, uh, about to officiate. Yep, you should be and, and going to them that's like during the week when you're not officiating. You, one right. day you're traveling to the sit Steelers down with facility. One coach, sit down with the other coach. Yep, and, and go to their practices. Say hey, just so you know, you do that in the game. I'm going to call it and it, let players ask questions too. Exactly. Hey, am I okay to do this? My okay hey, this. if there's and, a play that happens like this, right. what, what am I supposed then to you, do? And then also not on top of them, there's, there's relationship building because yes. now like like uh, when uh, what. What's his face? The guy that had the jacked arms for for the longest time. Uh, Ed Hockley. Ed Hockley. When he told <laughs> when he told Cam Newton, Cam, you don't get those kind of calls. When Cam took a a, a really bad hit years ago, there's a, there's a chance where Cam Newton's like, yo, I know who you are and you know who I am. Is this isn't just a this isn't just a you you know, you, you know my, my my profile. We know each other as people. I think that ref officiating needs to improve because they're getting these guys more opportunities to do their job and to better their craft. That's that's why you're you're making these guys. Do do a spotty job, so yeah, you're gonna get spotty officiating. And this year, when again, again, the NFL not doing itself favors with making extra rules. I think that someone showed they were they they're up like three penalties a game right now across the league. Yes, and you don't need like, eighteen and a half, eighteen point like eight something penalties like that. per game, yeah. something like that. It's ridiculous. And again, you're slowing the game down now. My favorite thing is every week. So every week that someone says that this is becoming unwatchable, this is becoming unwatchable. But you know what we're going to be doing the next weekend? Watching, Watching the again. same prop. Oh, so no doubt. That's, and that's I think that, but I think that's part of the NFL's thing is that like they're not under any pressure to oh, make changes. They survived that disaster of repla- replacement refs yeah. ha- season in what 2011 or 2012, yeah. whenever that was. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that happened with the national anthem controversies, right? And yep. oh, these are people aren't going to watch the First NFL all, anymore. Everyone's still watching, and you're right. The NFL yeah. knows. That regardless of what happens, they're still going to be king, and, and that's still that, be that, king. That, that's what that's what people people try to you know people try to say oh people watch hockey no people don't like people didn't did, people didn't dissect di- di- you know dissect football right they they they, they didn't divest that's people the word. weren't like oh I'm, I'm you know what I'm not going to watch the Steelers on Sunday instead I'm going to watch uh, the Boston Red Sox right. Milwaukee right. Brewers and, game and and I remember and I said this then while it was happening and then it was confirmed once all the ratings came out and there were people were initially like Forbes.com and there were a lot of people out there pushing this agenda that the NFL was losing viewers because of the protests. Yeah. But then you looked at the numbers, it was and people was like, "Oh, look, there were less viewers on this game than there was this game." But then you looked, "Oh, wait a minute. Everybody's not watching all of television. Everybody you was still going look down." At the top 20 most viewed sport, uh television events of the year and 12 of the 20 are football. Games. And, I mean, I think it was 6 of the 7 of the top viewed things, I think it was in 2017 or 2018 were all football. The one thing that beat them was the 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 the, the state of the union speech. Right. Like, or maybe the, like an episode of Game of Thrones. Right. It, and, and, but even Game of Thrones couldn't couldn't match up with them. That's what I'm saying is that like football is that much of king. I don't care oh, what a, it is ingrained in our culture. Yeah, it, it is part of our it, culture. It runs the entertainment business in the United States. So when people tell me, and I think that's part of the pressure is that the NFL isn't you know it isn't impacted unless they see something huge that makes a lot of air air you know airwaves and they're like affects you, the bottom line right and, yeah. and and like they saw the Saints call last year in the in on a huge stage and the Saints fans were rightfully you know upset about it um and they were thinking like man we we, we need to react but they need to not overreact and I yes. think that's what they did with that call was that look correct that was a bad call it's a good way to put we it. apologize for it but at the same time 
you got to, as an NFL team, you still have the responsibility. They had a chance to win that game, and I do think that was a bad call. But you know what? Back in two thousand, back in two thousand five, two thousand six, when Troy Polamalu intercepted a pass, got up with it, and fumbled it, and picked it back up himself. In Indianapolis and in, in Indianapolis against the, against Peyton Manning and the Colts, and then they overturned that interception, and the Steelers had to had to still hang on to win that game. Mike you know, Vanderjack blew it. Yeah, Mike, Mike, yeah, man, what what a what a way to lose that one. But still. The fact, Bill Cowher, the whole time on the sidelines, he's like, hey, whatever this call is, keep your head. Yep. Stay focused. And they did. And Joey Porter had those two sacks at the end of the game to help to help get him, get him in position to win. That, that's the attitude I think you need as a player. But as fans, I get you do need to call out bad officiating. Oh, no doubt. And you should. But the, the, this, you, the NFL can help itself by – Further investing into making sure the officials are more prepared, no doubt. more ready. The rules aren't as complex for them to do as many crazy things that that, that happen. And then I think when you see le- less of those calls made, because also, like you said, when they're talking to those players, when they're telling them, "Hey, don't do this, don't do that," and the players are asking those questions, now that gives them a there's a there's a higher percentage of chance of those players not making those mental errors, right? And that removes the amount of penalties, which makes the game more watchable. But again, the game is always been watchable it, 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 oh no doubt yeah. i was still glued i was still glued with one eye open one eye <laughs> shut. Like, oh, i gotta watch the end of this packers lions game one one thing too to wrap this up that i think drives people nuts and rightfully so is that every other entity yeah group person whatever team staff players everybody else who's responsible for the outcome of a football game is held accountable and a lot of those decisions are made transparent. Yeah. From a coaching standpoint, from ownership and GM standpoint, except, from the players on the field, except for the referees who can quite often have the I think you and I have discussed this before, mm. even with the Saints Rams game last yeah. year, right? Okay, it's one play in a three hour contest. Yep. That one play didn't decide the game. Yeah. But, but it impacted. But seemingly the refs who can who can have such a a tipping point decision, right? Mm. Who can who can be the final determining factor for a lot of these big moments in the end of the game, just like we saw last night. Mm. And then there's no accountability. There's no transparency. It's just, it is what it is. We're moving on to the next week. I, I, I get why that drives uh, fans, former players. I think you saw a lot yep. of reaction. Uh, guys it's like Barry uh, Sanders. Like Barry Sanders. You never hear that Dan, guy talk. Dan Orslovsky, yeah. uh, Pat McAfee, a lot of former prominent players losing their minds too I, th- I think that's part of it but you know what the best response was I saw about this whole thing I saw because there was a post inter- there was a post game interview of, of uh, Trey Flowers who was called for the hands to the face and uh, someone someone said I forget who, who said it but someone said man imagine being Trey Flowers you went from being on the Patriots where nothing controversial was ever called against you and now you're like wait what's this we can get bad calls that lose us games oh my god I thought that was the best that was pretty I good. thought that was the best response I've seen to this whole situation <laughs> Wesley Euler Chris Carter with you here Steelers Blitz in the Electric Factory on Twitter at Wesley Euler at Carter Critiques one more segment to go there's a quarterback in the AFC North, who was complaining about the referees as well, too. Yeah, the same quarterback who's thrown 25 25 interceptions since the start of last season. I want to get Chris's opinion on the AFC North, how it plays out going forward, where the Steelers are in the pecking order there in the division, and how that could all continue to look optimistic for the Steelers in the coming weeks when you look at their schedule. up next to some of the teams that the Ravens and the Browns still have to see here. We'll get into all that when we come back and wrap up the show. 
inside the electric factory. It's Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Wrapping up the show here, Chris Carter, Wesley Euler with you on a Tuesday. Your, your name is what? Wesley Euler? <laughs> oh, I, I, <laughs> ah, he, got, he got it. He got it. Uh, usually I'm the one with the, with the jokes there. Look at you catching me off guard. I can stay on my toes when I'm around you. Oh, Some good reaction on Twitter. Uh, Tanner and Mark agreeing with our NFL full-time officials. Thanks, guys. Um, Mark adds to like uh, to agree with your point. I don't think additional officiating, additional review is the answer. Right. I'm with you on that. Um, year round train. Tanner says year round training would be very beneficial to refs, make them way better at their jobs. Yeah, no doubt. Again, that's what I said. That whole idea of oh well, what are they going to do for the other half of the year? There's plenty that they can do for the other half of the year, and it wasn't just last night. I should say yeah. where there was officiating controversy. In the AFC North, everybody's favorite punching bag, <laughs> Baker Mayfield. Yeah, he was ripping the refs after a loss to the Seahawks. Uh, I'm going to get fined for this, but the officiating was pretty bad today. You know what else is pretty bad, Baker? The 25 interceptions you've thrown since you've been in the since NFL. week three of last season. Insane. I mean, come on, buddy. He's he's he, and here's the thing is that I get. I get that there were some controversial calls in that game. Some of the controversial calls benefited Cleveland, mm-hmm. but you know that, let, let's let's not talk about that. Um, but let's let's, let's talk, not talk about the three interceptions. Let's you talk about threw. the three interceptions. And I, I saw one. There was like a Browns fan guy that was saying like, "Man, like one of those passes, too, like almost like some of those passes bounce off those players' hands." But guess what? They also they're getting thrown behind those players. Um, I, I don't I don't want to hear it. You, 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 you're the Browns. You were talking all that trash coming into this season. Mm-hmm. You were chugging, you were chugging beers at Indians games, and you're uh, after the ra- after they went to Baltimore and whooped up on the Ravens. Yeah, they Baker were, Mayfield. Oh, you guys all threw us in the trash. Keep that same energy. No, Baker, uh, you yeah, keep that you same keep energy. that same energy. Because guess what? Where are you this, at now? His, here's my same energy. You still stink. You still the Browns. They, in, in this, yeah, and you're gonna be two and five after you have to go to Foxborough. Oh, next yeah, weekend. They're, they're about to get utterly smacked. That's the beautiful thing about the Steelers right now is that they've been through. Through the, the the bad games, yes. they've had to play the Patriots on the road. They've played the Seahawks. They've played the Niners. Now the rest of the AFC North has to go through that, mm-hmm. and it could be really pretty. But I mean, look at these Baker Mayfield stats against the Titans, where they got smacked by the Titans in their own house. He had one touchdown, three interceptions, sacked five times. The next week, they beat the Jets. You know, gotta beat the Jets. One touchdown, one interception. There's three straight games after that where he has one touchdown and one interception. He loses to to the, to the Rams at home. Uh, they they smack up Baltimore, but I, that was more Nick Chubb going going ballistic. Then they get utterly dismantled on the road by the Niners again. Now, 
say what you will about, you know, this was supposed to be the Browns' year and the Steelers are the ones that are supposed to be hurting, but the Steelers had a quarterback make his first career start. That was in the third round, drafted the same year as Baker Mayfield, and he did a little bit better than Baker Mayfield did. I'm not saying that he lit the you – know, but Mason Ruff wasn't abysmal in that game. He at least gave them a fighting chance. He threw two touchdowns. Baker Mayfield threw two interceptions. And then against the Seahawks, one touchdown, three interceptions. There's a lot of three interception games in there. That's a, that's a, that's a time. I blame it all on the refs, personally. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's the refs' fault that, that Baker Mayfield's throw, throwing, throwing the ball yeah, that way. If the official would have been standing there, Baker could have seen better. <laughs> that That's actually a pretty thing. But that's 11 interceptions on the year. You know what? 11 touchdown passes on the year? Lamar Jackson. Like, and I said this before. I didn't believe in Baker Mayfield in the draft. I said, you know what? If you wanted to pick him in the second round, worth a stab. I just didn't buy into the first overall hype that he, that, that, that he was. And, and, and I and, watched him torch my university for three straight years exactly. when he was in college, and but it, I still didn't. He, he was an impressive college quarterback, and I was like, I don't think he's going to translate. Let me ask you this. we got about two and a half minutes left sure. here. Uh, I Yesterday, I heard Colin Cowherd say this, and I know there's a lot of varying opinions out there on Colin Cowherd, but I thought this was th- – he, he, he at least thinks out his takes before yeah. he puts them out there. I don't think he's like – Skip Bayless in that regard where he just spews things from time to time. Colin Cowherd said, I look at Sam Darnold, and I think he's still oozing potential, has a, has a high ceiling yep. that he hasn't reached yet. I look at Lamar Jackson, I think he's oozing potential and has a ceiling he hasn't reached yet. Josh Allen, oozing potential, still has a ce- ceiling he hasn't reached yet. Even Josh Rosen, he said, I still look at it and I think, okay, this guy could get better. Yep. I look at Baker Mayfield, and I think Lincoln Riley already squeezed every last ounce of potential yep. out of him and that he just kind of is what he is at this point, undersized, not the most accurate, now, an yeah. okay athlete. Now, if you get it – now, uh, the one thing I'll say is if you get him a better offensive line, maybe. Certainly. But, but don't tell me he don't got weapons. Oh. You got Nick Chubb. One Odell Beckham Jr., one yeah. of the best wide receivers in the Jarvis league. Jarvis Landry, one of I know the better. I know he's hurt, but a good tight end in Ninjoku. Yeah, I mean, don't so don't give me that this ain't that he don't have the opportunity to make plays. Russell Wilson's been short all his life, but he still chucks the ball around. Drew Brees been short all his life, yet he still chucks the ball around. Baker Mayfield, you got you got to get it together. I also think, like we've been saying, saying West, these next few weeks could be fun to watch. The no Browns, doubt. the Browns next few next next six games. At the Patriots, at the Broncos, whose defense is balling right now. At they, Buffalo, they, no, no, they, they, they host, home they, against they, Buffalo. They host, the, they host the Bills. They get the Steelers, Dolphins, and Steelers. If the Steelers catch fire, imagine the turnover craziness that they're on. You get Baker Mayfield, and they're going to get in his head. That could be insane. And on the flip side, the it, Ravens, Ravens, Seattle, New England, yep. Texans, yep. Rams at, 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 at LA. Rams aren't scaring me right now, but at home on a West Coast trip, and then you got the Niners and the Bills. There's a there's there's there's, like, there's a chance. Here, like man. we said, rest up these next two weeks. Get you know take care of business Monday. Don't give the Miami. Don't give the Dolphins any hope in that game. Come out, take care of business. Put that away early, and then a big win at home against the Colts. You're sitting at four and oh, four that, with a good chance be to be insane. first place in the division. That would be insane. Buddy, it was a lot of fun today. Same here as always, Wes. Pleasure as always. I say this every time we do a show together, but I'm sure we'll do this again soon because we normally do this again soon. <laughs> Chris Carter, for those of you unfamiliar, if maybe you just got introduced, you can find him on Twitter at Carter Critiques, his work on DKPittsburghSports.com, and you can see him on WPXI. Yeah. It's, that's what we call triple fat, baby. Radio, television, writing, he does it all. Uh, that'll do it for today's show. Back tomorrow, same time, same place. Moats will be back tomorrow. 
best of the West Wednesday and all the good stuff that comes on Wednesday. So we'll talk to Yins tomorrow, same time, same place, high noon, inside the Electric Factory on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, Steelers Nation Radio.